John chapter 9 is where we're going to be this morning, page 895, if you're using the Blue Pew Bible in front of you. We are having some conversations or listening in on some conversations between Jesus and various people. And I want to read the first few verses of John chapter 9 and then the last few. So John chapter 9, we're going to begin with verse 1. Let's stand together as we read God's word. As he passed by, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it was day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with saliva, and then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seen. Then beginning with verse 35. Jesus heard that they, had, they the Pharisees, had cast the blind man out of the synagogue. And Jesus found him, and he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the blind man, formerly blind man, answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped Jesus. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near Jesus heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. You may be seated, and let's take a moment to reflect on God's word. I'm aware, some of you may be, uh, that as we speak about the man born blind, we have Jack in our midst who is blind. And I'm pretty sure I've never delivered this sermon to somebody who was blind. And so I want to be sensitive to him. I've already talked to him this morning about it. And, but I want to be sensitive to all of us because uh, a, a lot of this is about sin and suffering. And so I don't want to say anything that seems cavalier because when you're suffering, it seems pretty important. And you don't want somebody to treat it in a sort of a cavalier way. But I do want to try to speak directly so we're, we're clear on what Jesus is trying to say in this passage about suffering, about himself, and, and we want to see ourselves clearly. So like I said in the opening this fall, we began learning, we, we, we started learning about Jesus and how he operates and about ourselves by listening into sort of these various conversations, being a fly on the wall and just observing what's happening between Jesus and these people he's having this conversation with. And we've been through several different passages in the gospel, and this morning is your lucky morning. Because in John chapter 9, there's three different conversations. So you get three for the price of one this morning. So if you're a Costco shopper, you are going to really like this sermon. You're going to appreciate the value of the sermon. You're going to say, I went to Christ's community, I got three for one today. And these three different conversations, they're all with blind people. The disciples are blind. He has a conversation with them. 
the Pharisees are blind, and he has a conversation with them. And the blind man is blind, and he has a conversation with him. So we're going to look at those three different conversations this morning. First of all, the conversations with his disciples. Jesus notices a man that's been born, born blind. Probably this is around Jerusalem, but it's certainly around a city that would have a city gate. And people who had some kind of disability, couldn't work for a living, they would sit by these city gates. And as people came and went, they would hope that somebody would throw some change in a hat or on a blanket or whatever they may have to collect money. And so Jesus notices this man, stops and has a conversation with him. And during the conversation, Jesus and his disciples learn that this man was born blind. And this information causes the disciples to kind of pull Jesus aside and ask this question, verse 2, rabbi or teacher. When we see this man has been born blind and, and something must have caused this blindness. It had to either be this man, he did something wrong, or his parents. Can, can you help us out? And the disciples think they see. They think they know how God is operating. They're not quite sure because they, they don't know if this man sinned or his parents sinned, but they do see that sin has to be connected with this man's blindness. And so they think they see, but their question, their question reveals their ignorance. They, they think God doesn't let bad things happen to good people. So whether you have blindness or you have cancer or you have job loss or you've given birth to a child who's blind, these kinds of things don't happen randomly. They, they happen with a purpose. They happen with a cause, and it must be because of sin because God just doesn't let bad things happen to good people. Now, the disciples make the very same mistake, and most of you know this, that Job's friends made. Remember Job? All these tragedies come upon Job. And he has these three friends who I think are well-meaning. They come and sit next to Job. They take a long time to listen to Job. Very helpful things. But then they, they sort of respond to Job saying, Job, you know, something, the reason all this stuff happened is because of you. Job chapter 4. Who, this is the, one of the pieces of advice. Who being innocent has ever perished? This just doesn't sound like helpful advice, does it? I mean, when, when were the upright ever destroyed? Then they make this phrase, I have observed. You hear that? I see. I'm leaning in, Job, and I see how God operates. And it's your lucky day, Job, because I'm here, your fr- I'm here as your friend. And they say this, those who plow evil will will reap trouble. So Job, somehow all this disaster that's happened to you physically, all this disaster that's happened to your family, all this disaster that's happened to your finances, it's really on you, Job. And we're here to help you figure out your sins so we can kind of move away from that and maybe good things can happen to you. And if you know the story of Job, this is the exact opposite of what's happening. These people couldn't be more wrong about their advice, but they think they see, but they don't see. And, and I hear this same thing pretty frequently. Here's one way I would hear it. Someone in pain calls me. Just gotten a bad report from a doctor. Something has happened that's, 
that's a tragedy to me. Can you pray for me? And what did I do wrong? You hear that? The reason this is falling on me is I know I must have done something wrong and I'm paying for it right now. So we give our advice to ourselves that's really the bad advice that Job's friends give to Job. It's the bad advice that the disciples are seeing here. And what the disciples and Job's friends fail to see is how God operates in the world and in our lives. In, chapter, in verse 3, Jesus rejects the premise of the question. You notice that? It wasn't this man or his parents. I'm, I'm just rejecting your starting point, disciples. This is the nicest way to say, guys, you're totally blind. And maybe he said that, but John was kind enough just not to record it because he's in the group. I mean, you don't know. He doesn't record every word. Maybe he's like, hey, I know he said that, but I'm not going to put that down. Guys, you're totally missing it. You think you see, but you don't see. You're completely blind to how I'm operating. This man, this man is blind so that the works of God, the glory of God could be displayed in him. Now, let me make three comments just about this first conversation. First, I want to make sure we have our thoughts right about the connection between sin and suffering. It's clear from the Bible that all suffering is a result of the original sin. That's very clear in Genesis chapter 3. Paul makes it clear in Romans chapter 5. If there never had been any sin, there wouldn't be any suffering. So in a general sense, all suffering is owed to generally sin in the world. And clearly there are times in your life, and I bet you can think of some right now where you'd say, yeah, the reason I suffered was because I did that. You can see a a one-to-one correlation. However, what Jesus is saying in John chapter 9 is that specific suffering, some specific suffering, like this man's blindness, isn't always connected directly to someone's sin. And this is what the disciples can't see. This is what they think they see, but they can't see. Some specific suffering, and maybe a lot of our suffering, isn't directly connected to a sin by us or even somebody else. The disciples were blind to this possibility. And and in this particular case, in Job's case, in many examples of our own life, that's the explanation. The, The suffering we are enduring is to display the work of God. Somehow God has his purposes in this suffering. So that's the first comment I want to make. Second comment about this point is, notice the orientation of the disciples here. They think this man's blindness is about him and his sin. See their orientation? They're just looking at this man and everything revolves around this man. It's him and his sin. Now, what's Jesus' orientation? I'm looking at the exact same thing, and what's his orientation? It's about God and his glory. See, they couldn't be any different. They, it's like they're in on a totally different plane. It's like God, it's like Jesus lives in a totally different dimension, these, these guys. All of their world is circled around themselves. And of course, when you're in pain, I've said this before, you hit your thumb with a hammer 
Your whole world shrinks to your thumb, right? Oh my gosh, everything's about my thumb. When you're in pain, it's very hard to get outside of yourself. And Jesus is trying to get the disciples to see a different dimension, have a totally different orientation. He's looking at the same set of circumstances, but he's drawing completely different conclusions. This happens in other places. Jesus, remember Jesus calms the storm. They're out on the lake and Jesus is asleep. He's been a whole day of ministry. They, the disciples are trying to get to shore, but the storm's too big. And finally, sort of in desperation, they come to Jesus. And the first thing they say, remember what the very first thing they say in their suffering. Don't you care if we drown? You hear that? My whole orientation is around me. And I need to bring Jesus into my sphere and figure things out for me. Do you see how they're living? How you might be living? Jesus, remember Jesus' response? Where's your faith? Where is your view about God right now? See, I'm, tr- I'm looking at this situation in, compl- in a complete contrast to how you're looking at your current situation. And this happens over and over. It's like Jesus is living in a different dimension. He has a completely different orientation, especially when it has to do with suffering. Let me give you one more example. Psalm 63. All the wheels are falling off in David's life. Everything he thought was going to happen, all of his dreams, they're getting shattered, and he lives in a cave in the desert. I don't know, maybe you've felt this way at different points. Psalm 63, great memory verse. But your steadfast love, O Lord, is better than life. He knows he's suffering. He feels it. All dreams shattered, all wheels rolling off my life. But even as I look at that, even if I'm going to die, you see his orientation? Your steadfast love is better than if I stay alive. wonder if you could say that. wonder if I could say that. I wonder, see, David lives on that different dimension, at least for some times. It is, is having and knowing the steadfast love of God better than being able to see? Is it? Would you trade your eyesight for really knowing the steadfast love of the Lord? Would you trade your job security, your financial security for the steadfast love of the Lord? If everything was going right in your life, but you didn't have the knowledge of the steadfast love of the Lord, would that be okay for you? See, so in in our orientation around suffering, is it around ourselves or is it around God? Third observation. I'm still in this first conversation here with the disciples. Some might read this account and say, well, Paul turns out pretty good for the blind man because he does see. But in my suffering, I don't, I don't know if it's going to turn out that way. Might not turn out that way. In fact, sometimes I, I see things happening, and my suffering seems to be getting worse, not getting better. And I would say, yes, in this case, the blind man, he 
he does see. God's glory is displayed through healing this blind man in this particular case. But is it possible that God's glory could be displayed in your continued suffering? Is that possible? Well, it's possible for two reasons. You know, one of the reasons I'm going to give. But I'll mention that in a second. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul pleads before the Lord. I mean, who's more godly than Paul? He has a a thorn in his flesh, and many scholars think it has to do with his vision. He can't see well, and that's preventing ministry in some sense. And we know, we know, we think that because some of some in the New Testament, some of his friends say, "I wish I could tear my eyes out for you." In other words, I wish I could exchange my good vision to you. That's why scholars think that. But God said to me. Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is on display in your weakness. Is it possible that you living with your suffering could be a greater display of God? What's the second example? The cross. Here's the greatest display of human suffering. That Jesus prayed would somehow go away. And yet here's the greatest display of the glory of God. So it's possible. It's possible to to look at this man and say, hey, for this man in this situation, he gets to see. But there may be another man, Jack, that doesn't get his vision back. But that is for God's glory. Amen. Amen. And that might be the case for you. Let me just conclude this point. The way God operates, especially when it comes to suffering, might be very different than the way you and I would operate. We don't have to look further than the cross. And my hope is for every disciple of Jesus sitting here this morning, when you read just these first three verses, you have a willingness to step back. You have a humility to step back. To step back from your your current circumstances and your current viewpoint that you may be rock solid, absolute about your conclusions. I know how God's working in this situation and cut yourself a really large portion of humble pie and say, you know what? I may, be, I may see this 180 degrees out of phase than the way Jesus sees it. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying, could you be open to the possibility that you're looking at a situation and God has something completely different in mind? Is that okay? Is that possible? Conversation with the blind Pharisees, second conversation. Most of John chapter 9 is, is a sort of a long dialogue between this blind man and the Pharisees. And in verse 24, which I want us to turn to, they call him up for a second time. For the second time, they called the man who had been blind and they said to him, hey, give glory to God. We know that this man, they're talking about Jesus, we know Jesus is a sinner. And the blind, the previously 
born blind man says, well, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. I mean, I don't know the guy. I never saw him. I just, I heard him. I went down to the pool. I got my vision back. Now here I am talking to you guys. One thing I know, here's the one thing that I know. I was blind and now I see. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, well, I've told you already. This is the second round. And you wouldn't listen in the first round. Why do you want to hear it again? Hey, do you also want to become his disciples? Ooh. That's a little, little poke by the blind man. And they reviled this man saying, you are his disciples, but we are the disciples of Moses. We, see, we see, we know. Oh, verse 29, we know, you know they're blind. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as far as this man, we don't know where he comes from. And then the blind man answered, why, why this, why is this an amazing thing? You don't know, don't you know that where he does, you don't know where he comes from, but you know, yet, you know, he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God, he does his will. And God listens to, to this man. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't do anything. And they answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us. And they cast him out. Now notice the book ends 24 and 34. You notice this? Verse 24. We know Jesus is a sinner. Talk about being blind. We know Jesus is a sinner and we know you're a sinner. And this is a little conversation. Who's the only one who's not a sinner? Yeah, the Pharisees. Jesus is a sinner. You're a sinner. Hey, but you know what? We're good. These people are so blind. They are so blind. And I, I love the testimony by Lindsay because she was getting into a bubble of blindness. That's how I was thinking about it. Thinking that somehow she could be good enough that that was enough. And that wasn't. And thankfully, the scales fell off and she could see. Now, here's how this works in our world. And I want you to think about this for yourself. Here's how you can tell if you're in danger of being a Pharisee. Most people who come to church will admit they, ha- they aren't perfect. I mean, the Pharisees would have said, we know we're not perfect. It's just that when they look around at other people, they think, well, I'm not perfect, but I'm way better than them. Remember the parable about the Pharisees and the tax collector? tax collectors beating his breast in the back saying, I just don't even deserve to be in the presence of the Lord. The Pharisees up front praying, oh God, I'm so thankful I'm not like these people. If you're in the habit, and you're never going to say this out loud, but if you're in the habit of coming through the doors and looking at other people and thinking they're in worse shape than you are spiritually, you're probably a Pharisee. And you probably don't know it. You're blind to the reality of what's happening in your own soul. Or maybe you sort of see it so you don't want to really look at it. And so you want to look at everybody else. Jesus enters into this conversation. Verse 41. And the Pharisees. Hey, are we blind? Because he can. They feel Jesus coming. 
And Jesus says, verse 41, as long as you say, hey, we see, we see, as long as you're relying on your own wisdom, your own works, your own vision, then you're blind. And what the interesting part about this chapter, you can see it already, is the man who's born blind, the man who can't see, ends up seeing. The men who can see are instructed that they're blind. I was on the Young Life staff for a while, and when you take kids to camp, you'd have a series of talks. And the second, first talk was about Jesus, second talk was about man, you, about sin. And it was an important talk, it was a challenging talk, because you needed to have people understand who they were, as that they were a sinner, because if they didn't really see that, they could never really see they needed a Savior, and so you'd have these series of talks, and after each talk, you'd go back to your cabin, your room, and you'd have a conversation. So I'm in a conversation one time with a bunch of high school guys, and it's, a t- it's just a tough cabin time. It's a tough series of questions. You have to look at yourself, and most people don't want to do that, and especially high school guys, not very good at uh, introspection, and they want to blame somebody else, or they don't want to talk about it. Or they want to say, hey, they're better than most people. And the toughest thing to get them to see is that they don't just have problems, that they're the problem. See, this is the hardest thing to to step from one side to the other. It's not just that I have problems and I need to be tweaked. Or these situations need to be fixed and I'd be okay. No, no. You're the problem. And this one guy, never forget a guy named Rob. We're going around the circle. Pretty typical guys looking down, don't want to answer the question, don't deflect. And Rob says, hey, I'm a terrible sinner. I deserve to go to hell. Dead silence. And I thought, this guy might see Jesus this week. Because he sees himself. I wonder if you see yourself. Or have you been to church a long time and you're up front saying, well, I'm so glad I'm not like these people. Third conversation, briefly, the man born blind Actually, two conversations. One at the beginning, Jesus heals him of his physical blindness. One at the end, Jesus heals him of his spiritual blindness. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast this man out. And he goes and finds him. I love this passage. Jesus always finding this guy. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in Jesus, in other words? Well, who is he that I may believe in him? And Jesus says, you have seen him. It's me. I'm, I'm standing right in front of you. Verse 38, this is very critical. Lord, I believe and, what does it say? And I worship you. How do you know if you've been healed from your spiritual blindness? How would you answer that question? One, you believe. I've trusted in Jesus. I see Jesus and believe in Jesus. But that's not enough. Your belief has to inform your behavior. Do you see that? The man doesn't say, well, I just believe. 
The Bible says even the demons believe. But what don't they do? They don't worship. So this man, you know he's been transformed because he says the right thing and then he falls before Jesus in front of everybody saying, hey, it's not about me, it's all about you. And I'm wondering today if there's some here that would say, hey, I believe, but I don't worship. I still live the life I want to live. I've got this belief attachment like fire insurance. I'm going to pull it out when I die. I signed the dotted line that I believed. But I never worshipped. I lived my life for myself. I worshipped myself. Hey, then you don't believe. You could be blind. It's very possible. It's very possible, especially in a church like this, to come and think you can see, but you're blind. So as great as a message this is for, for the blind man, it's a tougher message for those who think, who think they can see. One last comment that's encouraging uh, to me is to watch the progress in the Apostle Paul. I don't know if you've noticed this before. But you remember when he meets Jesus on the Damascus Road, his eyes are covered with some kind of scales he can't see. And he doesn't realize he he can't just see physically, he can't see spiritually. And God meets him, he he gets his vision back, and then he starts writing these letters. And notice this progression, and my hope is this is the progression for every heart in here, including my own. 1 Corinthians 15, one of his early letters, I'm the least of all the apostles. I mean, if you line up the 12 apostles, I'm at the end. Okay. Good start, Paul. A little bit later, he writes a letter to the uh, people in, in Ephesus. I'm the least of all God's people. You hear that? You see that? I'm seeing a little bit, the Apostle Paul, I think, seeing a little bit more clearly. Hey, I'm at the end of the line of 12. Hey, I'm at the end of the line of every believer. Okay, we've, we've, we've got, we got clear vision now. Last comment, 1 Timothy, one of his later letters. Here's a trustworthy saying. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. What does it say? Who, of whom I am the worst. Whew. I'm the worst sinner I know. You see how his vision gets dialed in over time? And I hope that's happening in my heart. I hope that's happening in your heart. That as you come and you engage in these conversations with Jesus, you see yourself more clearly than you did when you walked in. You see the world more clearly. Mostly you see Jesus more clearly. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray here for all people. that we could somehow see, you would help us see ourselves. We wouldn't be like the Pharisees. We wouldn't be like the disciples. We'd be like the blind man who really can see himself clearly. Pray for every, every person here who's suffering and, and the difficulty of lifting 
our countenance off of our pain and trying to orient it around you instead of ourselves. Would you, would you strengthen every heart for that effort? And especially for any of us here who might really be blind but think we see. Would you help us see, we pray, with your eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song.